Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening. So my name's John and I head up at Lighthouse. Lighthouse is a Christian community for those being battered and bruised by the storms of life. But it's my privilege to be here tonight speaking on the theme of Advent. So Christmas is a week away. Anyone excited? A few of you. Um, But we're, we're actually in Advent now. And the word Advent means arrival. And in Advent, we pick up the themes of longing, of hoping, and of yearning. A few years ago now, I was longing and yearning and looking for a a duffel coat. I'd been thinking about it for a while. I wanted something that was like vintage. It sort of looked, lived in. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and get myself a duffel coat. So I headed out into Leeds uh, just before Christmas, and I went where anyone my age can go and get everything they need, Marks and Spencers. Yeah, going to Marks and Spencers, and I'm looking along the row of coats, and can't quite spot what I'm after, and then I, then I spot it. It was laying on top of the rail, and I went and I, I picked up the coat, and I headed over to the mirror, and I started to put on it, and it, and it fitted. It was just my size, and then I started to, I was just having a bit of a pause, vintage look, you know, and I started to put, put the zip up, do the buttons across, and I noticed a gentleman next to me, and he was, he was looking at me, and I thought, He's loving the vintage vibes. I better buy this or he might be after it. And I was looking in the mirror, put my hands in the pockets, and that's when I realized, oh, was not as it seems. First of all, I felt some tissues, and some keys, and then a wallet. And then I realized that the man next to me, it was actually his coat, and he turned around to me and said, please, can I have my coat back? Christmas time, longing and yearning, and sometimes what we long for doesn't materialize. At this time of year, kids are looking, definitely looking in my house. Everywhere we try for a good hiding place, the kids seem to find it. Um, it could be that we're longing and yearning to spend uh, time around the Christmas table with family that we haven't seen for a while. But we may also find that this time of year, we have a deep longing and aching for something to be different. For some of us here, not all, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. A beautiful season with Christmas trees, decorations, mistletoe and wine, children singing Yeah, I borrowed those words from elsewhere. Logs on the fire, gifts on the tree. And it may be that our lives are beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yet even there, we can get glimpses that something is not right. We long and yearn for something to be different. The Germans have a word for this, Zenzucht. It could be translated as longing, pining, yearning, or craving. Or it refers to something being intensely missing. It's a deep emotional state. The Welsh have a word for it, hereth. And this is a kind of homesickness. It's like a combination of homesickness, 
longing, nostalgia and yearning for a home that you cannot return to or for a home that no longer exists or maybe never was. I want to ask you, deep in your heart, deep in your soul, what are you longing? What are you yearning for? What in this Advent season are you, are you, you just want to be drawn closer into? So we're just going to do a little bit of an imaginative prayer exercise now. This may be new to some of you, um, but I've used my imagination for all kinds of bad stuff. We can also use imagination for good. So, close your eyes, if that's all right, close your eyes. Maybe place your feet on the ground with firmly sense of where you are. And I want you to use your imagination to build up a picture now. You're on a bench. Outside, the ground is crisp, but you're feeling warm enough. You're just thinking about the year, thinking ahead. And someone comes and sits next to you on the bench. As soon as they sit down, you become aware of the presence of love. And you turn and look at the person next to you, and it's Jesus. And you know that you can be honest and real with him. And then Jesus turns to you and says, what are you longing for? What are you yearning for? What are you hoping for? And so now in your imagination, start to answer the question to Jesus. And Jesus turns to you and says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you till the end of the age. And you get up from where you're sat. And you return to the street. And then open your eyes. Okay, a bit strange. Could be helpful, could not. Have a quick chat with your neighbor about what your answer to the question was in your imagination. What are you longing, yearning, and hoping for? Quick chat with your neighbor. Okay, I imagine a whole range of responses here. Some of us might be thinking of Christmas Day, of what we can open. Some of us might have actually moved beyond perhaps thinking of ourselves, but thinking of the world as such. 
Some of us, our minds might be cast to the situation in Ukraine and you're longing and yearning for a world of peace, all kinds of answers. Well, the first Christmas story is bound up with a longing, a yearning, a hoping that God would act in history and in time to bring about the age to come. If you did that imaginative exercise with people living in the first century, but instead of Jesus saying, what are you hoping for, what are you yearning for? They might respond, we're longing for the kingdom. We're longing for the king. This present age, so they thought, was broken and held hostage by hostile forces. But they longed for a coming king and a coming kingdom, which would usher in a time of flourishing, shalom, and wholeness. In a world where people walk in darkness and injustice, Isaiah the prophet saw a time when people would see a great light. In a world of violence, war, and the exploitation of empire, Micah dreamed a dream of a day when swords would be turned into plowshares. In a world where God seemed absent and distant, they prayed, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down in might and power. The early church shared this worldview, this hope. They articulated and enacted a theology in which the age to come has in some sense arrived in the person and work of Jesus. But this hope which they had, and the hope that perhaps we share, now not only looks forward to the future, but looks back to the past and is outworked in the present. So we're going to turn to two texts which pick up the theme of the age to come, what people were longing and hoping and dreaming for. Uh, Glennis, if you want to come and get your microphone, but just a little intro. Um, not an intro to you, Glennis. The one and only, Glennis. No, yeah, no, an intro to the passage. Um, the first passage is from the book of Revelation. John the prophet and dreamer is exiled and alone. He tells his readers that they live in a world of beastly forces, unholy empires. And in this context of persecution and suffering, John offers a signpost to the coming age. So let's listen. Thank you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thank you, Glennis. 
a world to come, a future age in which there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no pain. A world that has been set to rights. A place and time in which God is no longer absent, but he will dwell with his people. The great Advent hope, as articulated through the writings and prayers of the early church, is that in and through Jesus, we look forward to the reconciliation of all things. There is not a hurt that he will not heal. There's much here to encourage us. For many of my lighthouse brothers and sisters, their bodies and minds bear deep scars and wounds. Life has been like a war zone, and they're wounded. Many will die young. But here the hope is that whatever befalls an individual, there is a time when we will be made whole. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will restore our souls. That's something to long for, isn't it? Something to yearn for. Looking to the wider context. In your lifetimes, in the coming decades, all hell may break loose. Whether it be through the escalation of conflict in Europe, or through the difficult decades as we move further into climate breakdown. But the Christian faith holds it to be true that the darkest day is not the final day. God has not and will not abandon the world that he has made. Karl Marx described religion as the opium of the masses. He contended that religion, which simply offers the hope of pie in the sky when you die, is a kind of hopium which numbs us to the injustice of the present age. As Christians, though, our hope is not simply futuristic or otherworldly. And so our second reading comes from the lips of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She spoke these words before his birth in Bethlehem. So in our first passage, that was looking forward. Now we're looking back. It's a passage which sometimes is referred to as a Magnificat or Mary's song. But we may also want to see it as a revolutionary song, which sees that in Jesus, the great undoing of injustice has begun. So let me, I won't sing to you Mary's song, fear not, let me read it to you. Luke 1, verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their utmost, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary here is talking about the age to come, but now she's super excited because in the birth of her son, the kingdom is arriving. This is not just something for the future, something which has been inaugurated in Jesus, who is the bringer of the kingdom. The king brings the kingdom, and this in turn has social, political, and economic implications. In Jesus, there is mercy. In Jesus, there are mighty deeds. In Jesus, the rulers are cast down from their thrones. And in Jesus, the humble are lifted high. In Jesus, the hungry are fed. And in Jesus, the rich, those who accumulate wealth through injustice, are sent away empty. In Jesus, God remembers. In Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. The hope for us is that as Christians, we can look back to Jesus, his first advent, knowing that the kingdom has been inaugurated. A kingdom with Jesus at the center in which all empires and ideologies which support injustice are held in the scale and found wanting. A kingdom in which God, in the here and now, takes the side of the oppressed and the marginalized. A kingdom which has social, political, and economic implications. A kingdom of compassion which challenges the status quo. So our hope, our zenzukt, our hirith, as Christians can be shaped by looking forwards and by looking backwards. We look back to Jesus as the inaugurator of the kingdom, but also recognize that we're not there yet. We look forward. This is the now and not yet of the kingdom. So how should we live? Christian hope is not simply about waiting for the age to come, but is rather about embracing and enacting the kingdom in the present. We, me, you, we're invited to join Jesus in his kingdom revolution. We are to embody hope. We are to enact hope. Our hope, rooted and grounded in Jesus and his kingdom mission, is displayed by being conformed to the image of Jesus. By participating in his kingdom, we are, as we live between the first and second coming of Jesus, to be his hands and feet to a lost and broken world. In a world of unkindness, you're called to be a community of compassion. In a world of conflict, you're called to be the blessed peacemakers. In a world of increasing hunger and malnutrition, are we not called to feed the hungry? In a world which prioritizes the rich, 
We are to be those who stand with the poor and the powerless. As we listen to the longing and groans of our hearts, our zenzuk, our hirif, we are called to move towards the pain of the world with the hope which is found in King Jesus. To him be all praise, honour and glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.